I'd like to invite you on a walk. Keeping a purpose or an end in mind can apparently be very difficult or it does seem to be very difficult which is probably why there is a huge advantage to doing it though if there is such an advantage you would think that people might go after that advantage more Though I guess if everyone is sort of kept busy, then they might not have the time necessary to undertake the kind of evaluation necessary to find an end. I've always find it found it most dramatic in regards to war because the stakes are so high the highest stakes and yet it seems easy to lose sight of what the end is in those at least in modern wars It's weird how in certain sports innovation kind of just stops for long periods of time. A stable equilibrium is found. I guess the boxing gloves were predominantly invented to prevent bruising to the face rather than any sort of safety concerns because it was considered probably low class to have bruises on your face and the inventor was tutoring people with money because that's who can afford to pay for tutors usually. And so there hasn't been any particular advancement there. 
in the last 30 years or so, you've had the use of pool noodles and things like that to innovate a little bit on the boxing end. So, we could see the un initial purpose of learning how to box being a method to promote your tribe through some sort of expectance of ritualized combat and then on an other end to promote your honor, your reputation, your identity, which would promote the safety of both you and your group. Since that role has been taken up mostly by the state, and the state is a jealous god when it comes to violence, we've come up with other reasons to pursue things like boxing. And so the underlying goal might be lost if we return to thinking about war. If someone has an underlying purpose in war, that is to further the supremacy of one party, their party, or to at least come to an equilibrium that has more space for their party, their group, then the nature of how you conduct that war changes pretty dramatically. But in the hierarchical game of telephone that happens, um, perhaps a lot of people think that then you need to hate an enemy in order to fight it. Frederick the Great notes that while it's important not to have any uh, particular strong emotion about it for the strategist themselves, for the person who's deciding how the war will be conducted. It is important for the lower ranks to feel hate because that might be the only way you can get a lot of people to engage in the behavior you want them to engage in from the point of view of a kingdom or a state, but, well, well, in a time when nationality was rising, the concept of nations was a useful one to rulers, which is why it was something that caught on. Much like any sort of religion or ideology, there's usually a practical purpose behind its adoption. In this case, it's much easier to motivate 
lots and lots of people to follow you if it's not just your dynasty uh, that you are getting the loyalty for, but the identity of all the people who speak your language and have your culture. Which is an easier way to also identify people as us or them than prior methods of going around from village to village and asking them questions or looking for shibboleths, looking for little cultural tells about where their loyalties might might lie, looking at who's related to who. Not in and of itself a good way to tell who's an ally. Sometimes that might be a way to tell who's a threat or who's definitely going to fight you, your cousins or your siblings, uncles, whatever. So, through that long game of telephone about what a ruler might want versus what it takes to get the lead to do what they want. If you're someone on the ground and you're like, oh, these guys are horrible, they speak a different language, maybe you come to associate war with that and you think that that is the important thing, even if the underlying important thing for the ruler is just the security of Uh, access to resources. And so, then, somewhere down the line, when someone is in charge who only knows what someone on the ground might in terms of what the purpose is, then they might not know how to finish a war. Uh, because the the purpose of war is you hate the other guy and the other guy's evil. Uh, your methods, the, the affordances in your environment that you might have to end the war are not as open to you. Right? You don't negotiate with supreme evil. But if you really want to incorporate a people into your hegemony, you're going to have to do a lot of talking, and you're going to have to make friends with, uh, and join and bond with uh, many of the local groups of your enemy to then fold them into your empire. And so the underlying purpose is hard to keep. And so for a sport like boxing, when we are now in a era where fighting for your honor, or for fun, is uh, less acceptable than as a, a method of fitness, as a method of mimicking what healthy people did back in the day to be healthy, or as a sport... then changes the the nature of the game so that you might not see opportunities 
when uh, the availability of certain resources changes. One example is that we probably now value not getting hurt a little more than prior generations of young men. And so a limit to practicing boxing in a way that is not abstracted uh, is how much you can practice without getting hurt. And one of the, the reasons for the success of a sport uh, martial art like BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, is that you can ostensibly spar almost every day in a medium to, to light manner without ever really getting hurt. And you can kind of do it forever. If you're really experienced, uh, you have really learned how to chill while sparring on the ground. It's less possible with striking, though, if you take a look at uh, Thai Muay Thai gyms, I think you'll probably find that even though people talk a lot about the intensity of it, and it is intense to train all the time uh, since a young age, like five years old or something like that, um, that is intense. But at the same time, the pace of how they do things, the intensity of how they do things, is pretty light uh, and playful. Which allows, again, for more experience without encountering something that might stop you from getting that direct experience of the skill that you might want for the competition. And so, if we think about the, the purpose, the end of boxing, it's to assert yourself directly over another person through hitting them with your fists, or striking them. Well, it's not really with your fists, that's just the, the sport part that we came, came up with. Um, you might reinvent things a little bit and get Vale Tudo, Lucha Libre, uh, MMA, though MMA has fought to become a sport so that it's not made illegal. And as a result, we are ready to check what the end is supposed to be again. Like, what is the end? Of, of the original MMA and think the end was to see who and what styles, like who, what the best way is for two individuals to fight each other without weapons. But we have weapons, so maybe we're ready for something broader, however you would want to test that. Again, with the sport of boxing, an example of keeping the end in mind of trying to find new ways to practice without using 
methods that are perhaps too abstracted. A parallel is teaching people math, arithmetic in schools in an abstract way without giving them projects and problems that require math to do well. I mean, it's quite boring to to stare at some numbers that don't seem connected to anything in a bunch of problems. But as soon as you have some sort of football management game or uh, roller coaster tycoon or something like that, there's inevitably some arithmetic that you're going to have to do. And out of the love of the comp competition in the game, you will probably come up with something uh, close to what an elementary arithmetic, arithmetic course might teach. So similarly, in boxing, perhaps the heavy bags are a little too abstract. Like, it's like the, the 90s in close quarters combat, where the context of where that information had come from was hostage rescue a lot of times where you have an overwhelming uh, size advantage in, in number of combatants and often a firepower advantage as well and so then you're going through shoot houses shooting at stationary targets which is important for getting used to the equipment yes but once we had other methods like paintball or even better simunitions chalk rounds uh, that definitely changed the game so you ask again now given the technology we have the affordances we have the equipment we have for our budget whatever that might be can we do something a little less abstract than what we're doing And we do have an answer for boxing that hasn't been, and this goes for Muay Thai and MMA as well, that no one seems to be looking at too much. Something that would allow people to spar at, at, at a pretty high pace every day without getting hurt as much. And that comes from the sport of historical European martial arts because they have cloth armors that are pretty thick and you can get hit with a blunt metal object uh, while wearing a fencing mask and some of that uh, those the cloth armor, the gambeson and it won't really damage you and so Almost everything that you could do in an uh, unarmed striking context could be done wearing that at high pace every day without worrying as much about hurting the other person. When I was training MMA in Brazil, I did notice that the intensity of the MMA gyms on the daily training level was actually far less uh, than 
the BJJ gyms that were competitive. And part of it is the confidence, I'm sure, that comes from being a professional fighter. Much more relaxed, but perhaps less to prove. But also, they were careful because they didn't want to injure each other for their fights, since they're professional fighters, they're getting paid to fight. If they're injured before a fight, that's not good news. And so they're able to, you know, maybe they hard sparred three times a week, which is still a a little ridiculously high if you think about it. Uh, But it wasn't, you know, they weren't doing it every day. And they weren't doing it for two hours every day. That might some something you might do with grappling. So if we took the purpose of training, if we kept that in mind, like why are we doing this? Like why am I hitting a bag instead of a person? Why am I avoiding a pool noodle instead of someone's hitting me? Uh, Why am I learning those things in an abstracted way? It's to avoid this injury, right? Um, So you can hit harder without fear of hurting your training partner. And it's so that you can dodge something without fear of getting a concussion every week. So with that clarity in mind of what the purpose is, we can then ask a question like, now how can we get those things? How can we get those same results, but perhaps less abstract? Uh, How can we train how to dodge with a lower risk of a concussion, but in a way that better simulates the fight. How can we better hit a moving opponent that's also trying to hit us? How can we learn to do that in a way and and, and hit hard without uh, worrying about damaging the other person? And so asking those questions, keeping our purpose in mind, we might have an answer like use armor, uh, and a helmet, a fencing helmet. And there are many things like this, right? Uh, with healthcare, it's pretty kind of, or it should be, it always seems obvious to the individual, I think, who has a answer perhaps that the point of healthcare should be to keep a healthy population that will keep growing enough to make it more easy for humanity to flourish. Though, as soon as I've said those words, I could probably guess that mm, a lot of people would disagree maybe about what the purpose of healthcare is but if you had that in mind then 
perhaps a lot of the debate wouldn't be there uh, because then we would debate and we wouldn't waste time debating the what um, knowing that our underlying disagreements might really have to do with the why uh, as well as if there is a clear purpose be behind an organization like that or behind an organization choosing healthcare options or ways to deliver that healthcare that now you might have many other options that people weren't even thinking about uh, a very simple version of this usually is just doing cross-cultural checks on anything um you know someone might say something like this area doesn't have any food it's not arable land uh, but then you can look at similar areas in other places and realize that people do eat things there they just don't eat the same things that we might be used to here and I guess this has been probably done to death with healthcare in the sense of people can go to other countries see how they're doing things over there um, it's really dramatic as an American to visit another place go in with no health insurance uh, pay less than $50 for something that would cost $300 in the US and there's you know way more dramatic things like that and there will be many political talking points and whatnot but the the end user experience is such that it's like <laughs> there's no real comparison uh, with the, 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 the sheer difference between the system in the United States versus, versus a lot of other places. So then we might ask, well, what is the purpose of healthcare something different here? And that conversation maybe is what might lead us to unheard of paths, unheard of solutions uh, that might deliver something that everyone who is currently at odds with each other would actually agree with. You know, we return to the old question of where are we going to eat tonight, guys? And and so we, then we might ask the, the purpose of the question, right? Like, okay, or do we like literally need the calories today? And if we need the calories, does everyone need around the same amount of calories? Or are uh, Bill and Bob um, the ones who did a bunch of heavy, moderate exercise today, whatever, uh, and they need a lot of protein, uh, but Jill hasn't really done anything that much physical. She's done a bunch of math and maybe doesn't need as much protein, maybe he only needs a little bit of carbs or something. And and then you might have a, a answer that's fairly different. Okay, have some protein bars, or okay, uh, we 
the purpose of this is to partially use the groceries that we have that are going to go bad uh, then now the the answer is going to be a little different or the purpose is to relax and spend time together uh, doing something similar and then we might have other options not just what are we gonna have for dinner tonight but maybe uh, we're gonna watch something together or um, mend clothes together so for some reason this alignment problem is often ignored I think there's a it's just like easy to assume that we have the same purpose and that when we addressed address a what that whatever we're doing that thing for so say we are all uh, driving that we are somehow all driving for the same reasons we're all driving to go to work or come back from work or something like that when someone might just be driving for fun and another person might be driving to uh, learn to drive better for, as, as a racer another person might be uh, going to visit someone else and so they're like for for pretty much anything there's a lot of variation there and that variation probably causes a lot of the perception or appearance of conflict when if we clarified what our purposes were it might turn out to be that there are a lot fewer uh, zero-sum zero situations than there appear to be so why is this hard? why is it hard to ask why? and thinking now as I'm looking at these geese flying ahead of me in a V that maybe if you are one of the geese in the back you can't really change where the the lead goose is at some point the lead goose is going to get tired and come back but you're not like asking the lead goose why and it's much easier to follow the group cutting through the air than it would be to go off on your own who knows you know what eagles and other potential threats there might be so maybe parents get angry at their kids asking why because they're currently following someone else maybe a long dead person maybe a long dead religion 
something that made a road a easier furrow guess hmm from a sedentary civilization point of view I guess asking why is something you can only do if you're like on top historically like you'd, you'd have to be pretty high on the hierarchy perhaps But probably to climb up and replace a hierarchy, or at least replace the top of a hierarchy with something that you're a part of, you would need to have a very clear purpose. So that you have that competitive advantage when people are going for like 20 different things you can go after the one thing that matters to you. This is what I think a lot of people mean when they say corporate interests or what's the term? Entrenched interests. So if you have a defense contractor or something like that because they are simply going after their one thing they're going to outcompete the politicians that might be simply following the whims of the mob the the crowd and so we'll be better able to take resources Reading a sign that says this area under surveillance. I'm not sure if I see any cameras. It's always easier to just watch one place instead of having to monitor eight different places. Derek Sivers, the entrepreneur, points out that explorers make bad leaders because they're usually going around on some sort of random walk, meandering. Whereas a leader needs to have a particular destination in mind so that you can tell people, here's where we're going and why. And now we're going to proceed there in this straight line.
And looking for principles, I suppose that's usually something that I'm chasing to go where Miyamoto Musashi went before, perhaps, and the many thousands, millions of other people before me. At the moment, I'm trying to figure out how to come up with principles that are just as uh, easy as the ones that I've found in BJJ in Judo. So, on the ground, if, if I'm on the ground and I have four limbs, my opponent has two limbs on the ground and two limbs off the ground, then basically they're standing and I'm not standing, then to sweep them, all I need to do is immobilize uh, two of one of their... So, so imagine four points, their hips and their feet, right? So that's four points. I need to just immobilize two of these and push or pull a third in the direction that I want them to fall, which is usually the direction that they're already moving in. Uh, makes it the easiest point of attack. So looking for that in Judo has proved a, a little difficult so far. But when I go back to the sweep in the ground game, why am I trying to sweep, sweep someone at all in the first place? And that's to get into a better position. Better meaning me on top and they on the bottom. Why is that? Because it's a lot more comfortable on the top than it is on the bottom. And why do I want to be comfortable? It's nice to, to breathe, expand. It's a nice feeling. But ultimately, why am I trying to beat another person in a sparring match? I guess usually it's to test myself, but I think to consistently win, you would need a single interest. One thing. One clear purpose. And that seems to me to be something that some of the famous Dagestanis in MMA have, that very few other fighters have. This clear purpose. And it's crazy because this is the this is the thing that so many of the most experienced combat veterans seem to admire in certain enemies, uh, American combat veterans, but that they often lack themselves at some point or other. So how do, how do we get this?
every religious person will tell you faith in their preferred religion will get you that. But a quick look at how they perform in competition will tell you whether or not they actually do have the faith. And if you do, So we come back to why why do you need to win? What is the purpose of winning? Why do you need to make the other person yield? Why do you need to be dominant? Instead of the other group you might be competing with. And the answer I've come up with in the past is usually some sort of if you if you're out like if you being on top somehow makes life better for them. And this is the the underlying justification perhaps that any conquering empire might use. You know, civilizing the barbarians getting them to stop all their shitty traditions I'm looking at a pretty handsome mutt dog he's just looking at me quietly well not so quiet anymore I don't know what he's doing here Maybe someone's looking for him. Weird. So... In Judo, the reason I'm taking Judo in the first place is I like the idea, I guess, of mobility uh, because in warfare and life more broadly, it pays to be on the move continuously shoot, move, communicate, kill, right? And as much as I love the ground game, the truth is, if if I start to do BJJ in most non-one-on-one contexts, that is a sort of... Uh, it's asking to, to lose, because you are tied up in a particular space, you're not on your feet anymore, so you don't have the same mobility. So how do you keep the mobility while denying your potential opponent their mobility? Right? Once you have a, a group context, that, that becomes even more important for the 
quintessential action movie hero. Uh, you don't want to suddenly start doing ground stuff one-on-one uh, when there are two or three people coming after you. Because the second... You know, they might hurt their friend as well as they they go after you, but they will definitely get you. So they might kick their friend in the head, but then they'll also kick you in the head. So, so then the judo throws to focus on are the ones where you don't go down as you take the other person down. And what do they have in common? What do the non-drop throws have in common? Some sort of timing. I guess what's the difference between a turn throw and a non-turn throw? All of this musing, as you might hear, is me trying to find a purpose with what I'm doing in, in Judo, like what I'm trying to learn in Judo. And you can see it takes time. And maybe that's why people don't ask why <laughs> as much. Though perhaps Septimius Severus, the Pyrrhonic skeptic uh, guy who really goes into what suspension of judgment is has some of the answers which might be similar to uh, the void or the open sky of Musashi's Book of Five Rings at the end. Right, there's probably a way to keep on doing, keep on interacting as much as you have to while deferring judgment to find out why you're doing what you're doing. Apparently, the goalkeepers that wait longer before they make a decision uh, tend to do better as the ball is coming in in soccer. The more time that you can take to decide, so basically you get more information. And this has to do, again, with the timing. Can you make smaller movements later to get the same results? But what is the purpose of that? Closer, oh, maybe becoming closer to the problem? Problem becoming closer to you? Basically, if you don't find a clear purpose, someone else will find one for you. Uh, But you'll enact their purpose. 
which again is not necessarily a bad thing but do you do you like where you're at and if you like where you're at do you like where you're going is there a space for you where you're going Also reminded of, you know, from the inner game of tennis, this also seems to hold up in a lot of empirical studies that Rob Gray over at Perception Action has done a lot of summaries of that research. Uh, but the idea that it is better to have an idea of what is externally going to happen and then letting your body find a novel solution to that than it is to have a preset preset method, right? So if you decide what and how beforehand uh, your movements might not be as skilled in the long term as well as you're more likely to get injured and so if you're learning to serve a tennis ball or throw a punch, what have you, that it's better to have the outcome in mind and then let your body come up with a novel solution to that outcome. So sort of trusting the bottom-up process. But to do that, you need to have an outcome in mind. And one thing that I think boxers don't teach enough is what the ideal outcome is. I mean, you have an idea, oh, knock out the person, but what does it actually take to knock out the other person? At which point you might look at those nerve clusters. Uh around the jaw and I've realized the other day as I was playing around that for me I have a feeling that if I'm going to get knocked out from one of those um, that it's going to be the one on the right my right because that nerve cluster seems way more sensitive than the one on the left and how would you know that like looking at a person someone does there are some knockout artists out there who probably have the tacit knowledge of how to size someone up and get an idea for which outcome would work that way. However, maybe, you know, you just follow the simpler option of you just need to rock the brain in the skull. Which I suppose is a outcome and a solution that chimpanzees know very well and uh, most young men who have not been schooled very much um, 
seem to have that intuitive knowledge. But then, you know, say you're in a bar or something, and you're thinking about the outcome there, is, do you really want to knock someone out? Or do you want to do the classic, hey, can I buy you a beer? Because maybe you're there to have fun, or to meet people, not to knock someone out. Again, checking why you're doing something extremely strategically valuable. So I will leave you to your purpose, whatever that may be. It is yours and it is mine.